Hello there, you're listening to The Box Office Show. I'm Ryan Hill. And I'm Dylan Johnson. Today we're going to be talking about the box office numbers from last weekend and our box office predictions for this upcoming weekend. We'll also be doing another grab bag review, and we will be looking at the content that came out in the month of June, or slightly right before June, because I think one of them came out May 30th, but that's okay. We watched them in June, so it counts. Very true. have a little bit of a sad thing to report Richard Donner who is the legendary director of Superman and some of Superman 2 the Donner cut the original Snyder cut where he Mm -hmm. actually directed the Superman 2 the Goonies Lethal Weapon and so much more he has passed away at the age of 91 it's very sad I'm not the biggest fan of the original Superman but I love the Goonies and I really really like Lethal Weapon and so it is sad yeah, and he's also extremely influential because mm-hmm. people like Kevin Feige both were inspired by his movies, so yes. Superman, mm-hmm. but then also directly worked under him at one point. So yeah. the MCU as we know it now is thanks to, in part, Richard Donner's influence on Kevin Feige. And then also I think Jeff Johns, right, over at DC, yeah. who worked more in the comic side and then started coming over to the DCEU portion. Mm-hmm. Um, so both of what we know on the Marvel and DC side of films right now, thanks to this man here. So he was a behemoth in the industry and he will be missed. Yep. And in other news, Tom Hardy has gotten a story by credit on Venom 2. So clearly he has some involvement in how that story is going to play out. He didn't really touch the screenplay, I guess, but I guess he has some influence, some pull on what's going to happen. He does. The the writer was mentioning that they spent months breaking the story together on FaceTime mm-hmm. so that that has allowed him to get the story by credit. Mm-hmm. So I Tom Hardy has, he like really campaigned to be in the Venom movie the first time around. And this time around, he's apparently really involved in the story of the film, getting at least in somewhat in the writing process in the brainstorming mm-hmm. phase. So he is all about these Venom movies. So yep. let's hope that his passion will be able to attract a bunch of moviegoers when the movie comes out so that they can make a ton of money and be a great gem on my box office roster. Exactly. And in other news, this week, Quinn Tarantino has been campaigning, not campaigning, but going around on talk shows, doing the talk show circuit, promoting, that's what I'm looking for, his novel, the novelization of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And while he's been doing that, he said a couple of interesting things. He said that Once Upon a Time in Hollywood might be his last movie because he doesn't know what he wants to do next. But he also said that if he does Kill Bill Volume 3 next, he would want to cast Maya Hawke, who is Uma Thurman's daughter. Thoughts on that, Ryan? I hope he doesn't put her in a car and <laughs> drive down the yeah, me neither, bro. Uh, road. Um, that's interesting. I didn't hear the bit about the, the, 
Once Upon a Time in Hollywood potentially being his last movie since he doesn't mm-hmm. have another idea. Um, yeah, I do. He's going back and forth. Yeah, that's interesting. I doesn't he have a two book deal with whatever the publisher is? So he has this one is the first one, Once Upon a Time, and then there's another one which he could adapt one of his screenplays or do potentially an original novel. He may. I mean, he writes before he writes his screenplays. He writes them as books first. So I don't know if he still has any of them, but if he does, he just has to put it out there. Um, but I don't know. I, I mean, I'm interested in reading all of his books if he ever makes any. I know any originals. I know Spencer, my roommate, bought the Once Upon a Time in Hollywood book. And after he's done with it, I'm going to read it and I will let you know how it is. And yeah, I don't know what he's going to do as the next movie. He famously has said he's only going to make 10 movies in his career and his next movie will be his 10th technically. There's a couple of gray areas in there that kind of make it add up to more than 10 because he counts Kill Bill 1 and 2 as one movie and he counts Death Proof as something else. And then there's, what is it? It's the movie he starred and wrote in, but he didn't technically direct it from Dust Till Dawn. So that doesn't count either. So there's like a couple of gray areas, but he says he's going to make one more movie and then be done with movies for the rest of his life because he doesn't want to go down the road that a lot of famous filmmakers do where they go on for too long making movies and the quality decreases. He wants to go out on top, which I respect. And he said that he might cut it off at once upon a time in Hollywood. If he thinks that that is his top, if he can't top it, but you know, we've, we've heard all kinds of things about what could be his next movie, star Trek movie. Uh, he's got <laughs> Kill Bill right. three, possibly he's got an original idea. Possibly he has something about, um, a battalion of black soldiers in world war two, possibly, he thought about remaking uh, Reservoir Dogs as his last movie to sort of bookend his career. All kinds of things floating on in that crazy, crazy man's head. And so we have no idea what he's <laughs> going to do. But no matter what, I'm looking forward to it. Gotcha. Yeah, for the uninitiated, go look up the Uma Thurman car crash thing. Oh, yeah. To get bad. that one joke earlier about Nia Hawk. Um not one of Tarantino's best moments. Also, this is a side note. Because did you listen to the Dak Shepard, him on Dak Shepard? No, I'm going to. I, I'm going to start driving around oh. tomorrow doing things, and I'm going to listen to it. It's very good. Um, is it really? But because I listened to that, I mean, oh, yeah, because Dak Shepard's a big fanboy of him, so you just see him just doing exactly that fanboying over Tarantino, mm-hmm. um, trying to pick his brain. And so that is very fun. And, I mean, you know Tarantino. Man's yeah. on crack as his oh, baseline yeah. so it's amazing he's bouncing on to. walls all over the place yeah um but i had listened to a different him on stern from years and years back mm-hmm. where he defended roman polanski and oh. i was like Tar- i wish i didn't have that video come up in my recommended yeah, that that's right like him less so hopefully he has <laughs> come to his senses on that front was he defending him he, as a person or as a filmmaker? Like as a person. Like he was saying, guys, I read his book. Take You got to take into account his side of it. Oh, that sucks. And it was not. Well, his like main gripe was the use of the word rapist, which certainly applies given what actually happened. Um, he yes. was like, guys, it was statutory rape. No, no, no. I mean, listen to what was said. It was certainly rape. Um, that was also crazy. That one Oscars where he won for the piano. And then everyone clapped and Harrison Ford looked like a ghost on stage because he was like, I cannot believe that happened. 
if I were Harrison Ford, I would have read someone else's name. Mm-hmm. I would have pulled a intentionally pulled a Moonlight La La Land just to not give Roman Polanski yeah. the freaking win. That's absurd to me. I'm just insane. Very odd. Very uh, very so odd. Screw Roman Polanski, and hopefully Tarantino has mm. overcome that that mindset. Come to the light. Yeah. Okay, that was a quite a tangent, Indeed. but we will come back to the box office breakdown for the weekend of July 2nd to the 4th. And this one is quite historic because not only is this the first time since the pandemic began that we have had a top 10 with each film grossing more than 1 million, this is also one of mm-hmm. the rare occasions when a studio has released certain films that have become the top three box office earners for the weekend. So F9 is mm-hmm. Universal proper. Boss Baby 2 is DreamWorks, which is distributed by Universal. And The Forever Purge is what? Blumhouse Productions, which is also under the is it? Universal umbrella. So the top mm-hmm. three films of this weekend are all Universal Pictures. And this is the wow. first time that's happened since like 2004 or 2006 when Sony did it with a bunch of nameless films that don't matter anymore. But it's quite a feat that they were able to release all these films and they counter-programmed themselves twice over. Uh, So an interesting little fact for you there about this weekend and for Universal. Good for them. Yeah, they need it because some of these franchises are probably on their way out. So mm-hmm. at least they got to make a record um, in this very crazy year for movies. Yep. Uh, so, of course, coming in first place, as we kind of thought would happen, F9 made $22.8 million, and that is a 67% drop from last week. That brings its total to $115 million domestic and $500 million worldwide, which is not bad for me for the box office uh, draft. It's not... It's not where I want to be, I'm getting there. But it's not bad. Five hundred million, it's not bad. It still has pretty much all of Europe to go, so we'll see yep. if that helps it out. And we'll also see what kind of legs F9 will have, but I'm suspecting not too good of legs considering the movie that's coming out next week, which we will get to shortly. But yeah. in second place, Boss Baby 2 came in with 16 million which is slightly under what I was thinking it would get for the three-day. Me too. Uh, I yeah. did crack $20 million for the four-day. Um, no. But again, I don't know if this really is due to Peacock, since it was also streaming on that streaming service. Mm-hmm. But I suppose it's an okay uh, debut for this. And then given that it's an animated film, and those have been faring quite well in the pandemic, we'll see if this one is able to hold out in the mm-hmm. top five for quite some time. But... Um, not a terrible start, but not exactly what we were expecting for Boss Baby 2. Yeah. After Boss Baby 2 is The Forever Purge with $12 million, which is a little more than I thought it would make. I didn't think it would crack $10 million just because you've got F9 and Boss Baby 2 already in there, and it's like the fourth or fifth Purge movie they've done, and I just didn't think people would come out in masses to see it, but $12 million is certainly a little bit more than I thought it would make. Still not fantastic, but not bad at all for the fifth Purge movie. Fourth or fifth Purge movie. Right. A Quiet Place 2 in its sixth weekend is coming in 
number four with four million dollars. Not bad. Number fifth is Hitman's Damn. wife's bodyguard with three million. After that is Cruella with two point four million, and it has now crossed two hundred million worldwide, which is not Impressive. too shabby for it, given yeah its placement in the uh, pandemic when it came out, and then also being available on Disney Plus for that premiere access. Mm-hmm. So good for Emma Stone, good for Disney. It's kind of a good sign for all of the upcoming Disney Plus release properties that are going to come out. You know, they will still make money in theaters during this pandemic, even though they're releasing a Disney Plus, even if it is Premier Access. I mean, 200 million worldwide eventually is still a pretty good sign for those movies. After Cruella is Peter Rabbit 2 with 2.1 million. The Conjuring 3 with 1.2 million. Zola with 1.2 million. And rounding out the top 10, sadly far behind, 1.1 million goes to In the Heights. What a disaster. What a what an abomination. <laughs> it really is so sad. No one saw it, and then it also got slammed with a bunch of criticism, and then Lin-Manuel Miranda was like apologizing for all of it. So mm-hmm. then it was drowned in scandal, which is what made most of the headlines. It was, this film's not making money. Then also... Lin-Manuel Miranda, you need to be accountable for this. So, quite unfortunate for In the Heights, that film, and everyone who worked on it, sad to see it. But for our next film, the film that is opening this next week, I highly doubt that there will be any sad headlines or disappointed headlines. It's Black Widow, finally, after a year delay, is going to come out on July 9th. It is also coming out on Disney Plus with Premiere Access, but it will be in theaters. Dylan, do you think that this will, one, be able to top F9's domestic opening, which was $70 million, and there are whispers around that mm-hmm. are saying it may break $100 million in its opening. Do you think that's possible? I think it is possible. I mean, we've seen other Disney plus properties do pretty well and we've seen popular franchises do well like f9 and godzilla versus kong and this is a the, the big return for marvel mcu movies to the big screen people have wanted to see black widow for a while it's a little touch it's like it's iffy just because black widow is it doesn't seem like the most popular movie that's coming out for the mcu it doesn't seem like there's a huge push to go see it except for the whispers rumors that maybe robert Downey jr might be in it it's not receiving like giant rave reviews from anybody. It's not like breaking any sort of like minds, like shattering minds or anything. Apparently, it's supposed to be a lot like uh, the Winter Soldier in, in the idea that it's like a spy thriller, of course, which made sense because it's Black Widow, like obviously. And so uh, it, it's touch or go for me. It'll be close. I think it'll get 92 million, 85 to 92 million. I don't think it's going to cross a hundred million. I don't know. It's 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 the same reason that I didn't pick it for my my box office. Uh, I'm blanking here. What's the word? I just said it earlier. Draft. Draft. God, thank you. Roster, it's the reason. Which one? Draft. It, it, was, draft. it was draft. It was draft. It was draft. Yeah. 
is the reason I didn't pick it for my draft pick is because I know it's probably going to get around 500 million, like probably guaranteed, especially since uh, F9 has made it to that point already. So it will eventually get around 500 million guaranteed. But I don't know. I feel like the movie that I picked over it, you know, the Suicide Squad has a chance to get even, even more money, has to do even better. I feel like Black Widow is just going to sit around $500 million and, and call it and acquit. If it does better than F9, that'll be disappointing because I really went on a whim with F9 and I really picked another movie over Black Widow. So we'll see. I'm going to guess 85 to $92 million in the three-day open. Interesting. I think I think it'll definitely get $80 million. I think it'll mm-hmm. be able to get the top record opening for the pandemic era. I don't know if it'll be able to cross a hundred million, but it's really possible based on the fact that it is our first live action MCU film in over a year. It could really ride on that. And the fact that it's the middle of summer now, so even more people should feel comfortable with doing something like that, going back to the theaters. It's just one of those films that could bring a lot of people back but I'm not sure if it'll be able to cross that hundred million just because the Disney plus factor and the fact that it's black widow. So people may also be like, isn't she dead? Why would I go see this film? People may think that it's unnecessary compared to other MCU films. There's at least the general impression that, okay, this is going to be essential viewing for me to understand what happens in a later team up movie. So Mm -hmm. let me go see this. This one very clearly isn't going to be that, um, at least on the surface, it's not. So I think that could possibly be a hindrance to this massive opening. I also wonder how front-loaded it's going to be, because I'm sure a bunch of Marvel fans are going to go out that first week. And then I wonder what impact that will have for the subsequent weeks, if it'll be able to continue to gain a a large audience. So I'm not entirely sure that it'll get that 100 million mark i think it'll get close i think 80 for sure probably 90 will be a good bet but that'd be insane if it did cross 100 million that would be Mm -hmm. yeah i was gonna say marvelous um so yeah we will (laughs) see next week or we will report back whether or not kevin feige can once again bask in the glory of being the most successful producer of modern hollywood um but yeah we will see that soon all right and now we will talk about bo yo bo burnham's new special on netflix called inside dylan what are your impressions of this one so my first interaction with it was spencer was watching in the living room and i was doing other things and walking in between and i was catching glimpses of it uh and i thought parts of it were a little strange and i wasn't totally into it i thought it was a little uh far-fetched a little out there and i don't know i felt it felt like he was trying a little too hard and then i sat down a couple and then i and then there was another time he was watching it again and i sat down and watched the last probably 30 minutes of it with him so i watched the end first and watched actually sitting down and just paying attention i really liked it i really liked seeing what he was doing going back and forth between the introspection and like 
the the deep thinking as well as the comedy that he was he was sort of like losing his mind in there and then i stopped when when it ended i stopped and then a couple days ago i watched the whole thing start to finish and i really liked it i I had a good time i had some good laughs every once in a while i thought there were parts that he did really well and at the end of it i think the biggest impression was just how impressed i was with what he was able to do just himself in a room with a bunch of gear and technology and his mind and just creativity and i like seeing the it's not just him performing their clips and it kind of adds to the to the whole idea of him going crazy and they're just clips of him like setting things up and testing things and writing the songs and how like all the work he put into it and it's like it's just trying to like show that he's doing this 100 percent himself and there's nobody else in there with him and it's just him and gear and hard work and figuring it out and I'm impressed with a lot of the things he pulled off. It definitely, because it's supposed to take place chronologically, I suppose. Like he makes, he, he's like filming it chronologically. You can kind of tell by the facial hair and his, his uh, regular hair getting longer, which I like. And you can kind of see how much more complicated he gets as he learns the technology better and he gets more advanced with it. You can sort of see when he like makes these songs, it gets better and better and better and better as it goes on and more and more and more advanced, especially like because there's songs like um, what was it? White Woman's Instagram, where it is just like shots of himself and he's just like taking those briefly and then editing it together like a music video. And then there's other times like um, Turning 30, where it's just him standing there performing and just changing the lights as he goes, kind of like it is a live performance. And I find that to be more impressive because he's really figuring out how to engage with an audience by just pointing a camera at himself and performing, which I think is really interesting. What are your initial impressions, Ryan? I absolutely loved it. I I have loved Bo Burnham for a long time. Mm-hmm. And going into it, I knew it was going to be good, but I didn't know it was going to be that good. Mm-hmm. Like It just struck me in so many ways, the fact that it does have, I mean, he's pretty well known for doing that. His observational humor is off the charts and he always interweaves social commentary with it. And that's yep. always been his thing. And then it's just upped to the nth degree in this one. The thing that you mentioned there of how progressively you see his hair is getting longer and you see the setups become more elaborate. I think it's also interesting that the songs progressively get less superficially comedic and more introspective there's still of course going to be elements of comedy to them but it's interesting that as it goes on it does dig deeper into those Mm -hmm. uh more just directly social commentary themes um or direct introspective themes that he's uh self-analyzing himself about so that stuff was also something that i was really taken by and this mm-hmm. dude, he's just, he's one of those people whose talent is so immense yeah. that you like can't resent him for it. You can't hate him for it. You can't even be jealous. You just have to sit back and enjoy it. Mm-hmm. And that is how I was throughout this entire special. It exactly. was just compelling all the way through, engaging all the way through, mind boggling. It was both entertaining and really challenging to see like as a creative person to see all the setups seeing him do it himself is so inspiring um, and then there is that other bit of you that's like dang i should be doing that. i could be able to do that 
how can yeah. we be so productive during the pandemic but yeah but also, also yeah the, the thought of like looking at all the equipment like i can't afford to let rent it let alone purchase it for a year to work with it like right. I, I can't even imagine like because i mean it is still compared to other things it is still fairly low budget it's just him in a room with equipment but like it's just it's like it's within the grasp of independent filmmakers to like be able to do something like that where you are just in a room with technology but we just it's just just slightly out of our reach because it's just slightly out of our budget which just makes me so upset so i'm like i'm like i don't think i'm creative enough to get there and i don't think i'm financially stable enough to get there but it's just it feels like that kind of artistic uh performance is just kind of within grasp especially right. like with the advancements of technology like something like that could not have been done 30 40 years ago for sure which is also and that ties into some of the other themes he's talking about with the internet and how it not only is the sole reason that we're able to get this because of how he's able to get all that stuff probably from amazon getting all of that stuff into his house while remaining in quarantine also the fact that he came on the map through youtube so through the internet Mm -hmm. this was on a streaming service so again it's through the internet um like even just that point you're making there this special could not be made probably even 10 years ago um that's really an interesting comment as well um and just as for the like financial stability bit certainly yeah he's well off so Mm -hmm. him being able to be in a room for an entire year and still like he's not actively working i mean i don't know what his money situation's like but he's yeah. good enough to sustain himself for that year while getting all this equipment and being able to devote essentially all his energy on this project mm. since of course not being distracted by regular life since we were in lockdown um so yeah there is that element to it a little bit of uh the financial stability that most independent filmmakers aren't going to be able to have but it is still amazing to see that it is even if we're only going to be able to do it on a small scale with less great equipment um it is still possible to create something that is so artistic and so thought-provoking and all these great things um when it's just confined to a space with one person doing all these different aspects so that alone is just mind-boggling Mm-hmm. But everything else about it is so, just so beautiful. Like, it's one thing to set out with the intention to wrap up all these themes of, I mean, he talks about everything, capitalism, social media, internet, the creative process, as you mm-hmm. mentioned there, where these those shots of him setting up things, uh, having his lighting rig set up, and you see him, like, silhouetted against it. Yeah, or you see him looking at some of his footage, um, you're able to see that creative process. It's one thing to say, okay, I'm going to try to depict this and try to look at all those human emotions that are involved in it, the things that fuel it, like pride and ego, which he certainly touches on, as well as genuine sincerity, like wanting to be good, wanting to be a good person and make an impact and invoke good emotions from people and create empathy. But then also those other things like anxiety, his insecurities, self-doubt, all those other things that are both driving forces and hindrances on the creative process. It's one thing to plan that out and be like, well, that's something that I would like to do. That'd be an interesting 
creation an interesting art piece, but then to go and execute it in the way that he does with his incredible singular vision, um, utilizing all the different aspects mm-hmm. of film and storytelling and songwriting. I mean, the wit and wordplay that he always has in his lyricism, yeah. all the beautifully orchestrated compositions, mm-hmm. the editing that he does, the sketches, the lighting rigs, which were amazing as well. I mean, mm-hmm. all of that stuff served that purpose and it just works. It's multifaceted it's deeply layered it's complex it's amazing i love it so much i really yeah. do. i think it's a masterpiece it's it's his it is his masterpiece at this point so when did you first get acquainted with bo burnham so back when he was on youtube mm-hmm. back like long like literally a decade and some years at this point i had been exposed to him and i watched a couple of his videos i wasn't like a crazy fan that had watched every single thing and was mm-hmm. buying his albums that he was putting out back then. But I certainly knew of him. Like he was in that ethos of YouTube with Ryan Higa and PewDiePie initially and all those. Um who's the one one guy that had the like the initial reaction channel to those inter- to the internet videos? I have no um, idea. Ray he had like a three name. Ray something something. You know, oh yes i know exactly so you know what I'm about. About. he was like one of the he was initially one of the biggest youtubers but yeah. other people like like smosh and all of them um he was in that sort of field like i knew of him back then and then seeing his initial foray into the comedy world i remember seeing those initial specials and thinking that was so cool to see mm-hmm. like that was i think the first real instance of youtuber leveling up and going beyond i think yeah. now at this point most YouTubers are recognized at this point, like that's not what they want to do because that'll lead to less creative freedom for them. They're not in as much control. Um, but he was someone who made that jump and did it successfully. Mm-hmm. And so I was always enamored by that progression that he had, that evolution in his career. And he was still so amazing. Like him getting a broader audience and getting to do these big Netflix specials, things like that were great for him they didn't hinder him at all didn't make him uh didn't go to his head and make him worse or anything so i was always fascinated by that story and then seeing him in eighth grade right he directed that Mm -hmm. uh, and then recently starring in promising young woman like seeing the versatility has the different things that he's doing i've always just been aware of and following his his career and it's amazing to see the stuff that he's always done so i've always been rooting for him Mm -hmm. Um, but how about you what was your exposure to bo burnham uh so i had seen he did a couple of vines i'm pretty sure or someone took his youtube videos and made them into vines or something like that when vine was a thing and i had seen some of those and then i i did had no idea who he was it was it was like a little 10 second clip so i think he made it himself and then he did what on netflix and that was the first thing of his that i ever watched and i thought it was really funny i thought it was really creative it wasn't my like favorite thing but he definitely had a lot of moments and what stuck out to me was how much control he had over everything that happened on that stage and how like he had to have everything under control like everything was so 
rigorously planned out because it is not just him up on a stage telling jokes. It is a, like a live performance with music and lighting and all this stuff. And that was like my first thought was like, this is not just a comedy show. This is a man who is creating an entire entertaining performance for people like with so much control that he has over this. And it reminded me of, of like comedians like David Schwimmer, who is just like, perform like he is he is just performance but he just puts so much thought into everything he does into the way he says things into how that like translates and it's not like more like a natural comedian who just kind of goes up and just tells jokes and is funny kind of like dave Chappelle or someone like that like like john mulaney is also kind of like it seems like he, he puts a lot of thought into how he's going to approach each situation each comedy uh performance he does and I just never seen someone have so much control over a situation like that, a live performance like that, like Bo Burnham did. And I thought that was really impressive. And then I watched his other special, or I started his other special. Was it Make Happy? Make Happy, yes. It wasn't my favorite. I feel like I should give another shot now because I didn't get all the way through it, and it was not Ooh, my should, favorite. The very ending is, is so good? good, and it also directly ties into this film. Okay, well, like, I will give it a shot because i watched what and really really liked it and then later when make happy came out i tried it and it just didn't like it as much so i will give it another shot and get it all the way through i never got to see eighth grade and i'm still upset about it i can't find it anywhere i keep forgetting that it kind of exists but if i find it and if i'm in the mood i, I really do want to watch it everyone i know has loved it alexa's loved it you like it i just i really do want to watch it and then yeah. he, and the only thing he did after that, really, that I've paid attention to was Promising Young Woman, which he's just great in. Like, what a killer performance. This is the first time I've ever seen him actually act in something, other than The Big Sick, I guess. But this was, like, a like a really important role. The Big Sick, he's just kind of playing himself a little bit. But in this, he's actually playing a character, and he's doing such a good job. And I, I just, I really appreciated seeing him, like, take off in this way seeing him grow to be an actual performer and then of course inside came out and i was just blown away just absolutely blown away by everything he did yeah for sure uh so the that one youtuber i was trying to remember the name of mm -hmm. ray william johnson thank you that yes yeah i i know exactly what you're talking about um so yeah that and then to go to your point about the make happy you definitely should see that through because the ending of it is it's essentially a prelude to this in the one song all eyes on me when he talks about how five years he's taking a break because the panic attacks on stage were getting too real mm -hmm. the finale song of make happy touches on that and of course he begins it with talking about stupid problems he has like not being able to fit his hand inside a pringle can mm -hmm. but then he peels back the layers a bit to reveal like no here's my actual issue and it's with the audience I love you and need you, but I also hate you and fear you. I can't handle this anymore. Like the song is called Can't Handle This. Uh, and so it's essentially him giving us the secret that he's about to take a break for quite some time. Mm. Uh, and it's number one, as his songs usually are, a straight up banger. But the deeper meaning of it and then seeing the connection to now, like watching that back then and not knowing the significance of it how that would essentially be the last live performance we would see for five years it's mm -hmm. wild to go back and see that and it's so clear now how he was genuine more genuine than he's probably ever been mm -hmm. 
talking about that particular problem he's having of the anxiety on stage and the pressure of doing it is just getting to be too much for him. So definitely go back and see it, if only just for that very final song. Um, and then also, as you mentioned there, like the creative freedom he has in those live performances that he does in the specials, um, which obviously we see a lot of in Inside. We see where he gets a lot of that understanding from. Um, the lighting rig, the setups in that final song, Can't Handle This, yeah. is also incredible. It's the poster, I think, of Make Happy, where those different beams of light are shining down on him yeah. from a bunch of different angles. Mm -hmm. It just looks so amazing. That happens in that song. So anyway, that's another great uh, song and moment there. Mm -hmm. But going back to Inside, I want to talk about some of our favorite songs. Because there's a lot of variety to the songs he has, which is always that's amazing. Good. Yeah. yeah, I mean, we got like 80s synth keyboard in there. We got funk. We got folk songs played by the campfire, whole ballads, um, and then more of his like poppy comedic songs in there as well. Mm -hmm. Just an amazing amount of variety, which is always incredible to see. What are your top songs? I really like the Campfire song. I can't remember the name of it. It's Funny Feeling. Yes, I really like that song a lot. I like the performance behind um, I'm Turning 30, just because the lighting in it is really good. The music is good, too. Like when he's saying, I love the, the extended chorus of um, my stupid friends are having stupid children. <laughs> I really like that because it just goes on and goes on and goes on and goes on. And it is just a good song. I like that one. I like, uh, what is it, Problematic. And I like, I do like White Woman's Instagram. I think it's a good song. I think it's a little bit more of a basic song of his. It's not as deep, of course. It's just meant to be comedic. Because it, it is in the beginning of the piece. And it is kind of just like, you know, this is traditional Bo Burnham is warming you up and sort of like, calming you down and getting you ready for the rest of it which is a little bit more intense and deeper right. but it is still like a bop and it's I, still like the lighting and like the setups he does are really really well done it's just a straight up music video i agree the <laughs> and i'm not on instagram but the fact that i was able to recognize a lot of those instagram aesthetics is pretty <laughs> hilarious yeah so he was spot on with that but even to your point of this was certainly more of the traditional bo burnham or just a flat out comedic song that has a lot of witticism in it but even in this, there is that one moment where he does make it slightly more personal and brings draws out some empathy from us when the aspect ratio widens mm -hmm. and she's he's talking about the woman's post dedicated to her dead mom, something like that. Yeah. We get that one bit of sincerity that humanizes this white woman Instagram page that we have just been laughing about uh yeah. and have been mocking through the whole thing but and then the it goes back time, to the rest of it yeah but even in that it's like that deeper undertone that at the same time that dark that deeper undertone is what he does a lot is he, he throws that in there as sort of the setup for the punchline that is going back to the comedy part and that sort of just like tops it off and makes it even funnier that he he does those dark moments in, in that so it's like it serves multiple purposes and it's really well done for sure so Okay, so to recap, yours, Funny Feeling, uh, the Problematic song, the... I'm Turning 30. Instagram, turning 30. The Finale song. 
Yeah. I do love the finale song where he has. I love the shot of him. It's him singing, but then it like it fades over of because it's him singing and it's it's like the beginning when he's has short hair and stuff and it fades and it, he's in the outline of himself currently and then it fades again. It's him performing over the moon and then it finally cuts to just the spotlight on him naked and it's the deep voice singing the song that he had been singing earlier. It's just very very thought out and well done and I really like that for sure. Yeah, all the symbolism and imagery that he's able to pack it into stuff as well mm-hmm. aside from being visually engaging and making sure that things are being shaken up so that we're entertained for the hour and 40 but then the fact that again even in those times even with the lighting he'll include or the editing choices he'll include those deeper moments it's just amazing the man i think is truly brilliant mm-hmm. i do also like the coffee song even though it's only like 20 something seconds and it's just like a, a scat song. I really like that. Oh, the intern thing? Oh, the intern. What? Oh, yeah, because the intern's getting coffee. Yeah. yeah it's yeah. a song about interns. Uh, I don't know. It's pretty fun. Like, it does set up the actual joke, which is the reaction video bit, which we'll get to later. But I actually do like that scat kind of song about internships. It's just really funny. It's just an odd choice for him to make but for a song about interns. I know. Well, it's hilarious. But again, I mean, that's one of those things of commenting on the status of interns and how they're really disregarded and honestly doing way too much work for getting the little recognition but then yes it's also setting up the the reaction video bit which is also another hilarious commentary on internet and how those reaction videos for whatever reason are so widespread and beloved but then it's also him using that as a gateway to start letting us peer into his mind and how he overthinks things and overanalyzes himself and criticizes him criticizes himself so much Mm -hmm. it's just oh my god every every little thing he has in there works on so many different levels sets Mm -hmm. other things up it's all connected and meaningful it's just amazing it's very well done what are your favorite songs ryan go so i'm surprised i don't know if you did this intentionally because you saw the ones on the script Mm -hmm. Uh, but if there was no overlap that's pretty interesting because there's not a lot of overlap because i really do like the bezos songs because you put them in there but they're not my favorite and welcome to the internet is also not my favorite i like it but it's it's not like up there for me you know really i think well the bezos bangers as i call them one and two were phenomenal i when you know i have that little piano keyboard Mm -hmm. uh in that one room i went to go learn the synth part of it that synth solo this is just so good yes it's very easy to do and i can do it so i love it um so those ones were incredible welcome to the internet i don't know why you don't like it i because again i think it has that traditional bo burnham Mm -hmm. approach to just making fun of something but then also the more you think about it you're like whoa that is legitimately crazy also the tone of it how it's essentially a disney villain song um but where it is already lost we have lost and the singer has won um that stuff is amazing and then the middle where he goes into that ballad i just can't get that out of my head it's so good it's amazing i love it oh it's just so good i'm sad that it didn't work so well for you but i think that's one of the based on just all the references he makes to it, the rhyming scheme that he's able to pull off, the the way that, it, like the music video portion of it, the way that we have to zoom in menacingly towards him, mm-hmm. and also the music, the tempo is 
quickening each time. It just gets your blood flowing, but it's also such a bop. But then it's also commenting on how our generation particularly is so changed by the internet. Who knows what our grandchildren's lives are going to be and their connection to the internet. Mm -hmm. Crazy to think about. So that one for me, again, on all levels slaps works. Yeah. True slap. Um, (laughs) And then I can't tell if I want that one to be my favorite or all eyes on me to be my favorite, but that's the one where he's in the blue light. He's sort of using that auto tune on his voice, making it slightly deeper and it's in the blue light and he's doing a lot of the cross dissolves. He's like, he's also projected on the back wall. That one Mm -hmm. I think is again, just an amazing song yeah as well as the meta narrative that it has the way it connects to for instance uh can't handle this from make happy the way it contextualizes the absence he's had for the past five years from live performance scene the way that it probably is the most introspective one of his songs because it seems like it's trying to express without doing it so directly the anxiety he feels but also the need for validation he needs as a performer Mm. and the lack of an audience like we see that with the lap track and then him also saying like all eyes on me put your hands up and then put your hands down things like that of wanting that control but then also wanting that distance when needed Mm. it's just amazing to me and it, it also got stuck in my head for so long after I had first watched it in today, like on Spotify, all I've been doing is listening to that song, Welcome to the Internet, and then some of the Bezos bangers. So, I do I do <laughs> love the bit in All Eyes on Me when he grabs the camera and he's moving it around and it's just sort of, it's a little dizzying, it's a little hard to follow, but it just, it's just beautiful. Like him dancing in the blue light with the camera on him and moving yeah. around the room is just incredible. Being all alone without an audience when he had just said, this year was supposed to be the year when he comes back and he finally yeah. his mental health is now back to the point where he's able to do it and then now that's just him dancing alone in the room to the song uh with the laugh track sometimes sprinkled in through it mm-hmm. and then towards the end of the song he also which i can't i guess it must have had to be during his actual performance like he bursts out laughing at one part and it's just two like brief cackles at the very end of the song which is just haunting don't know what that means. Don't know if that was him being like really expressive and happy or if he's laughing at the absurdity of this. I have no clue, but whatever mm. it is, I was also in love with that. Yeah. I'm just, I'm very much like in love with this special. I need to watch it again soon because there's just so many elements to it and so many bits that I really loved. There's a lot of it that isn't music related that I really like. Like this, the, we talked about the reaction video, but we, there's also the, the bit where he's a streamer that which is, is so is, funny <laughs> it does have that sort of like introspective look about oh he's stuck in this room and it is very sad and it's just almost game like in, in how repetitive it is but it's also it's also just a bit like it's just to make us laugh like to take a breather from all of the intense songs that are coming around at this point during the performance and it is just to a humorous moment for us because he, he's just like He's doing it so well, the way he edits himself in there is so well done. It really is. And the <laughs> the swipe at Death Stranding at the end there mm-hmm. was pretty hilarious. 
So yeah, even just those interludes or the brief sketches he does, or the one where he was on the floor and he's on the pillow and the mic's he's on the He's just pillow. talking. Yeah, yeah, and then he finishes off with, I'm horny. And then we go into the sexting song. <laughs> like that's his transition after he just went on about the seriousness of maybe we shouldn't mm. have put everyone's lives on social media um, in their youth. Maybe that was a bad call. Maybe I was not good. I'm horny. Like, <laughs> it's just so funny. <laughs> so, yeah, I in in awe of Bo Burnham and mm-hmm. the special. I think it's amazing. I'm gonna make my mom watch it. That's how oh, that's it's getting that choice. Breaking wow. Bad got that where I'm like, mom, you gotta watch this, and then I'm gonna have her watch this as well because mm-hmm. I think it's just that good. Yeah, I'm gonna make Alexa watch. It. I think she wants to watch it anyway, so. We're going to enjoy watching Inside together one day, which will be fun. That'll right. be the next time I watch it. Yeah. So our rating out of five, what would you want to give this one? Five insides, five introspective deep dives into Bo Burnham's mental health. I would give it mm, four and a half deep dives into Bo Burnham's mental health. <laughs> Um, I will give it a straight up five out of five. I, I thought you would. I really, really love it. I definitely want to get that other viewing in mm-hmm. to really see if that'll continue. But I can't imagine going through it a second time that it'll be less compelling. It'll probably be more so since I'll touch mm-hmm. more stuff. Um, so and be able to analyze it a bit better. So I am really, 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 really in love with this special. It's so good. Yeah. Inside is amazing. Go see it. Go watch it. <laughs> you have to cut that out. Um, why am I transitioning to it? Because it's your. This is the one you saw. I never saw Luca. What? You didn't see Luca? I didn't have time. What? <laughs> I'm I, I'm working thirty three hours this week, man. You saw F nine. <laughs> why? Did. I did see F nine. That's crazy. Okay, well, I didn't know that. Interesting. I really wanted to know what you would say. I know. But it's all good. You talk about it. All right, when am I ready to go? Oh, whatever. All right, and now we will talk about Luca, which I have just discovered Dylan did not see. But I I did see it, and... I will now talk about it. It is, of course, that other Pixar film that has dropped on Disney Plus for no additional cost, no premiere access. You can just go and watch it straight up. And it is a coming-of-age film set in the Italian Riviera where this sea monster whose name I'm about to blink on. Oh, Luca. Incredible. He and his friend, Alberto, who is the actual name I was going to blink on, um, they are sea monsters. Luca's a little goody two-shoes kid who's sheltered. His parents don't want him to go anywhere near the humans because humans hate sea monsters. They will hunt you down and kill you if you're a sea monster. So Luca, of course, wants to go explore the world, and that means he will eventually have to encounter some humans. So he is brought up to the surface uh, accidentally with Alberto, and then he quickly goes back inside 
of the water to safety. But then he's like, well, that was the outside world. I want to explore. I want to see more. So he goes and with Alberto uh, on the surface, learns of some mm-hmm. stuff of the human world. Like, for instance, Vespas exist. And their number one goal is now to obtain a Vespa. Because nice. for them, it is liberty. They're going to go drive around the world uh, in a Vespa, explore it, see everything. Um, so that's essentially what they're trying to do. And then, of course, Luca's parents are trying to find him. Um, and so that's one element of the conflict. And then they also end up in the town, the little human town, which is called Porto Rosso. They, um, they meet this girl, Julia, who her whole deal is she wants to win the Porto Rosso Cup, which is like a triathlon, but they eat pasta as one of the things. <laughs> they swim, <laughs> they bike, and then they they eat pasta but not my kind of triathlon (laughs) not in that order no they swim and then eat and then they do the cycling which sounds like a terrible idea that sounds horrible yeah and i mean pasta after swimming sounds cool but then you go and and go for a bike ride and you see that pasta again later and oof yes julia sees that pasta very often because she always throws up she's never able to finish the race because she throws up and so you know what i like that idea it's the challenge (laughs) <laughs> that, that is, regular triathlons are too easy. You have to eat a huge plate of fettuccine Alfredo before you can go to the bike ride. That, that's the challenge. You think running is hard? Wait until you do that. I want to see you do it now, Dylan. We're going to have to put on our own I bet triathlon. I yeah, we can, we can film it and put it on YouTube. <laughs> uh, Dylan attempts to do the Puerto Rosso Cup triathlon. I just, I swim two miles and then i eat three plates of fettuccine alfredo <laughs> and then i just bike 14 miles that would and be I, an amazing sight i just fucking die <laughs> <laughs> i'll do it i'll do it i'll train i will train for two months and i will beat the Puerto Rosso cup <laughs> i will does does julia get it like a time does she have like her through her winning time because i bet i could beat her time She's she's a know. fucking child. She can't do it. <laughs> I could beat her time. I don't know if they gave a winning time, but we'll we'll have to see. We'll just count um, it down. <laughs> Julia, so she loses a whole bunch because of the whole vomiting to the guy named Ercole. Erko, I don't really remember what it is. Uh, but he's a jerk. He's a bully. But he also wins every year. And he's also too old to be in the competition at this point. But he still enters it. What a douche. I know, right? So they are like, yo, we can team up with Julia and we can together win the Puerto Rosso Cup and then we get the money so that we can buy the Vespa. That's the plan. And shenanigans ensue as they try to both train for the Puerto Rosso Cup and avoid being detected as the sea monsters that they are. And there's also through Luca and Julia's relationship, like their burgeoning friendship, where Julia shows him space, shows him mm-hmm. like astronomy and shows him the stars, gives him a book that says, here's everything in the universe. Um, he's enamored with that stuff. And Alberto, who was abandoned by his father to live alone in this like little abandoned castle tower, he who originally is a fun-loving kid. He's the one who, again, like brings Luca out of his shell. He is now worried that he's going to lose Luca 
this person, this companion that he's formed a connection with that he doesn't want to lose. And so he starts getting a little hostile to mm-hmm. Julia. So that's another bit of conflict that emerges there. Um, so that's the essential gist of this. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it is very interesting in sorts. I mean, it's certainly beautiful. The animation style is incredible. Yeah, of course. Um, and the water looks very nice. Oh, it's the way the water is animated. Very crystal clear blue. And so, and again, it's Pixar, so you can't go wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, like the story I described there, you can see where some of the conflict is coming in, the emotional tension, and how that'll pull on your heartstrings. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's interesting. You and I were, when we were at our little July 4th get-together thing, someone had brought up that this almost felt like a Studio Ghibli film. And that was the same thought that I had watching it. Mm-hmm. This isn't necessarily a knock to it, but it it's noticeably understated and small scale compared mm-hmm. to some of the other Pixar films. Um, like, and it even has the concept of sea monsters and they're coming onto land. So there's that yeah. element to it. It's somewhat fantastical, but it also truly just is this coming of age story about these friends. And then they're just trying to win this little competition and fight against like avoid the parents uh, getting up to some shenanigans, mm-hmm. trying to beat the bully. Um, and so it's certainly an intimate tale. It's still worthwhile for sure. But for whatever reason, I was watching it. I was well aware of that. Also, a fun little side note, there certainly is influence of Studio Ghibli films um, and Miyazaki in this because Porto Rosso is very similar to the Studio Ghibli film Porco Rosso. Mm-hmm. And the uh, director of this film, Enrico something, blanking on the name. I'll as look well. it up. You can talk. Please do. Uh, he, I think, has even come out and mentioned, like, yes, Miyazaki is one of my greatest inspirations. So it's interesting that without knowing that initially, I had that idea of this really feels like a Studio Ghibli film. And I think I honestly would have liked it slightly better had it been. Um, just because I feel like it would strike that tone even better with maybe that 2D animation and whatnot. It, Enrico Casarosa. Casarosa, there you go. Casarosa. One of the two. He, yes. um, yeah, he has a director for this, certainly was drawing inspiration from that uh, Studio Ghibli and their films and the sort of stories that they tend to focus on and... Again, something about it made me aware of that as I was watching the film, and I was almost wishing for it to be a Studio Ghibli film. Mm-hmm. Um, overall, it's a solid film. It's Pixar. There's obviously going to be those uh, really emotional moments that they're able to deliver on effectively, uh, but compared to other classic Pixar films, I'm just not sure if it'll rank high for me. Yeah. Again, it's a solid film, the writing of it, like as I was describing it, I'm sure you can understand like there's those clear motivations for the characters, the clear relationships. And I also love the theme that this touches on, which is Luca and Alberto. They are important to each other because one helps bring them out of the other shell. Uh, right, Alberto does that for Luca and then Luca helps give Alberto this companion that he's been longing for for the longest time. 
Um, and then he's able to, through Luca, find more people to be a part of. Like he realizes it doesn't have to be just one person I need to um, hang around with, right? I can form these connections with other people um, and don't need to hang around them all the time for me to know that this is a meaningful connection and that they like me as much as I like them. Mm-hmm. So that element to the fact that they can be important for each other but don't necessarily need to like always stick together is one that I am a big fan of because um, it's somewhat reminiscent of that La, La Land bit where Mia and Sebastian, they don't end up together, but they're still entirely essential and crucial for each other's lives. Yeah. So it's still all worthwhile, everything they had. That is a core theme to this, and I always love that theme, as I've been saying. Um, but again, for some reason, this film just didn't entirely connect with me. Yeah. And I know that's why I really wanted to hear what you thought about it. Um, and unfortunately, now you're going to go in with like this. No, no, no. It's expectations. Okay. I mean, well, we'd already I mean, had already had bias because I had seen ten the, the beginning ten minutes of it, and I already didn't was not the biggest fan just because I had problems with the way the dialogue was constructed. It just kind of felt like I was watching a dub, like the just because it just felt like someone had translated it like poorly from a different language to English because the dialogue just wasn't snappy enough for me. Because I'm just so used to other Pixar dialogue, which is just like there, especially like the uh, the Incredibles. The Incredibles has the best dialogue in any Pixar movie. It is fantastic, and so I'm used to like that kind of like quality sort of dialogue in a Pixar movie, and this just was not kind of hitting for me. Yeah, that's as a, much. Yeah, again, it on paper it should work, but I would probably like it more reason. if it was like actually in Italian with subtitles. Like I feel like I would enjoy that more. Right. Yeah. So just one final thought that I wanted to throw out there is there is this one moment um, where Julia's father, who is missing an arm, um, just doesn't have that one limb. He is asked about that by Alberto. And of course, we're initially expecting, oh, he got to run in with a sea monster. That's why he particularly hates sea monsters. And that's why it's even more of a desperate situation for Luca and Alberto to hide themselves from him. Uh, Alberto goes, like, what happened to your arm? He goes, so he initially makes a joke of getting bitten off by a sea monster, but then he says, I came into the world this way, which I thought was great because it directly ties into the overall theme of accepting people, including sea monsters, the way they were born. Um, And I think that's really great representation for, um, for disabled community to have someone in there who it could have tied into the story world and it would have made sense and it would have been fine um but the fact that they went that route with it was something i really appreciated and respected um so again another positive thing i'm saying about this there's not too much negative to really say that i can pinpoint directly there was which would sort of be a spoiler so i'm not going to go ahead and mention it but there's one thing that i was predicting okay this is exactly how this will go and it almost happened that way but it was slightly different and I think it was for the worse because it just didn't make much sense. Like they did it because it would create somewhat more dramatic tension in the moment. But then the very next scene, it does, it essentially accomplishes the other thing that it should have done in that scene. Um, and then it undercut that whole thing. Mm-hmm. And it, I was like, that's strange. I knew what was coming, but they just ordered it slightly different. And I think it made it, less interesting to do that that way Mm -hmm. Um, so you can maybe whenever you do see it you can 
talk to me and let me know if you yeah, also I'll, I'll spot it, it out i'll find it yeah. yep um so overall again it's a good film i think people should go see it for sure mm-hmm. um at least alone for the beauty i also love i mean all the voice actors in this are incredible um i just don't know didn't connect so the silencio de brunos which is a little thing in the film you'll have to see it to get it mm-hmm. um out of five can i, I guess can i guess what you're gonna go you gonna rank it sure are you gonna give it four out of five i will not whoa i was going to give it a 3.5 out of five damn i thought i thought you would appreciate like the artistry of it enough to get it to a four but i guess there were just too many story issues that that just took it out not even too many story issues it's just it didn't entirely connect um in all the ways Mm -hmm. that it was intending um because again like for someone else i think it certainly would connect and maybe for a younger me it would have connected Maybe it's just the time in my life where I'm watching this Pixar movie with this particular moral of the story and I'm doesn't connect as much as things in the past would have. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. And I was also wondering, alternating between 3 and 3.5. Yeah. Um, and I also feel like 0.5s are always a cop-out, but I'll sure. give it to this one. 3.5, I think it is really solid. It does deserve it. Um, but again, for me, it just wasn't the top notch um honestly compared to soul i like soul better mm-hmm. um and i'll be interested to see when you watch it if you would put luca over soul yeah okay i'm gonna make a proposition for you ryan yes if if i can swim 10 <laughs> miles and then eat three big plates of pasta of your choosing and then bike another 10 miles in under two hours, will you buy me a used Vespa? <laughs> when would I need to buy the Vespa by? Just eventually, one day. <laughs> Just put it on the roster. When I'm 70 years old, I'll be like, do it! I got Here's you something! It will, have been, it will have been worth it. it will, it's it's all about the story. And then I'll drive that Vespa and it'll be my, I vomited a lot in preparation for this Vespa. <laughs> you know what, Dylan? I'll take you up on that. Yes. I will 10 do miles. Really. 10 miles. I feel like the cycling should be a little longer than the 10 miles. But we'll see. We'll, well, it's two hours though. Also three plates. My guy. How many plates die. do they eat? It's one big plate. All right. Well, then I will do one big plate of your choosing of pasta. Any pasta you choose. Okay, but then you have to cycle down a big hill in Italy. Deal. As they do in the film. I will go to Italy and I will bike for 10 miles. I will do this. I will go to Italy. I will swim 10 miles. I will eat fresh Italian pasta and then I will bike 10 miles. And I will do it in under two hours. I can do this. I can do this. I believe in myself. All right, now it's time for me to talk about the June movie that I saw that you didn't. Now, last week, we had a whole Fast and Furious special where we had our friends Kirk and Ryan come on, and we talked about the entire Fast and Furious saga, but we did not really touch on the latest installment, F9, because only Kirk had seen it. But last night, just before we recorded the show, I was able to catch an IMAX showing of F9. IMAX? So you also saw the little Jurassic World preview thing? Was it IMAX? Okay, I think it was IMAX, but I think I think we got there late, so I did not get to see it. Oh, I'm tracking. But, but, 
this movie is really really bad it is <laughs> it is really 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 bad i it's it's partly bad because i've seen fast five and fast and furious six and i never got to see furious seven or fate of the furious so i'm skipping from fast and furious six to f9 but it's just odd because in fast five they are they are wanted criminals for stealing cars and doing stealing car related things and then they steal from another guy so they're just doing more criminal activity and then fast and furious six it's just kind of like they're trying to get letty back so it's more it, it is about the family and then i watched f9 and they're just secret agents they're just doing <laughs> secret agent things they are contracted by kurt russell which I think happened in Fate of the or Furious Seven built that up, and then in Fate of the Furious they were contracted by uh, this guy named Mister Nobody, which is Kurt Russell, and so they're contracted to be these secret agents, and that has to do with um, Charlize Theron's character in, in Fate of the Furious. I really should have watched it before I went so after nine, but it doesn't matter. I didn't really care. I was only in it for the family, I guess. But God, oh, it's so bad. They because they've given us eight of these movies. And there has never been a mention of Dominic Toretto having a brother, and they throw that in in F9. And that could have been done better. It also could have been done worse. I'll say it, him throwing him in there is not the worst thing that happens in this movie, but it could have been done better. Because, like, they do the same thing in Uncharted where they give us three games, and in the fourth one they throw in a brother that we never knew about. But the way they tie that in is really well done. In F9, they sort of build it up by giving us flashbacks to show us young Dom and young Jacob with their father and how that kind of builds up and how it, it kind of breaks Dom's relationship with Jacob. And honestly, that arc of them having like this, this tense moment as, as young adults and having that ruin their relationship and then have that come back around at the end, that's not like the worst thing. It's not too bad. What is really bad is that Jacob, his who was John Cena by the way, his oh, yes. his entire his entire plan is to get these two halves of a sphere and then connect them together. And then when you connect them together, you can control any piece of technology on the planet. What? <laughs> that is his entire goal. And by Bro. the way, we don't even know why. We don't. We just know that he and Dom fought. He became a secret agent. He turned evil, and now he's doing this. We don't know why he wants to control the technology in the world. We don't know what... Is it just global domination, I guess? I, it's never explained why he wants to do this. But it's just so phenomenally stupid. <laughs> there's there's even a moment where, where Tyrese Gibson is like talking to Ludacris and the actress who plays Misande on Game of Thrones. I forget her name. But... He's talking to them, and he's like, "How come we never die? Like, like, what is happening? How are we so lucky?" Because there's a moment earlier on where Tyrese Gibson has a gun, and there's like twelve soldiers around him, and they're pointing down at him, and they just shoot at him, and then he has his gun, and he shoots back, and they're like six feet away from each other, and he shoots and he kills all of them, and he does not get hit, and so he's like staring at this jacket that has a couple bullet holes, and he's like, "How are we not dead? Like, what, what is happening? Like." We do so many dangerous things and, and we never get hurt. Like, like, what is this? He just has this like breaking the fourth wall moment and then Ludacris just shits on him and they move on. And it's just, just so, so, so bizarre. Oh, it's just so bad. 
I I can't even it's so hard to put into words. It's no longer about family. It's 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 about God knows what. It's it's unfathomably horrible. And Ryan, you have to watch it. No. <laughs> you have to watch Fast Five and then just go straight into F nine. I do not want you to have any build up at all, just like me. I just want you to go straight into it. Because it is such a bizarre experience. It's also the longest Fast and Furious movie they made so far. It's two and a half hours long. Jeez. And it is it is unf- like unfathomably stupid the entire way through. There's there's I don't know if you saw any of the trailers, but they are Dominic is driving a car and Letty's in the passenger seat and they're going towards a cliff and the bridge had already broke because Ludacris went over the bridge and the bridge broke the second he got onto it and the bridge is falling down and he just drives up the bridge defying <laughs> physics and then gets to the other end. And so he's approaching this edge of the bridge and he's not going to he's not going to make it. He hits the turbo, hits the pole where the bridge was connected or one of the ropes that was on the edge of the bridge wraps around the tire and then the whole car swings like Tarzan across to the other edge of the canyon, and he makes it. That is so stupid. It's How so beyond even... stupid. It it's so even... beyond stupid. Just what is what is the thought process that Dominic has? There's a cliff, and he just guns it. And even Letty is like, wait, don't do that. And he just guns it, and he just goes over the cliff and survives. He just survives. It's just so ridiculous. It, there's a cool moment where Leading up to that, they're chasing after John Cena, and John Cena goes over the cliff, but then they have the mag planes swoop down and catch him. And it's like, yeah, that's kind of stupid, but at least it makes sense. Like, mag planes don't exist, but if they did, that is what would happen. There's no reality where you could Tarzan swing a car across a a half a mile gap. Like, just beyond fathomability. In, like, ludicrous insanity. Just ridiculous. There's another moment where... Uh, Dominic Toretto is just getting like swarmed by like 30 guys and they're like pulling him and like beating him up and then he, and he's in like a silo kind of thing that has like um, metal walkways and stuff and he just grabs two chains and just pulls the entire interior of the silo down with his bare arms what? to like crush everybody <laughs> it's just ridiculous it's just like he has that moment it's like a moment where he like locks the door on letting he's like run I'll take uh, he's like just go tell my son I love him and then he's like in the middle of, of the thing and he's like, you think he's going to die? And he like pulls it down and he goes and drowns. And Letty is standing at the door the entire time just watching, not running. She's just watching. She's like, come back, come back. Like they could have just gone. They could just kept running. And then he they tear it down and he, he falls into the water. And then Letty just goes in and saves him and pulls him out. And it's like, I guess that's not the worst writing, but God, it's kind of stupid. What's worse than that is they were, what happened was they were ambushed at the base they were hiding at. And that's what led to them running away. And then they beat the bad guys. And then they just stayed at the base that they were already ambushed at. And like was like, let's just chill here, I guess. Let's not leave knowing that they know where we are. Who cares? Yeah. Uh, it's it's wow. ridiculous. Helen Mirren is in it. Apparently, Helen Mirren is also in Hobbs and Shaw. She is um, Shaw's mother, apparently. I didn't know she was playing that's Shaw's hilarious. mother. But she is in Hobbs and Shaw and Fate of, of the Furious. And so seeing her in this is very funny. She just drives a car really fast and then that's it. And she has dialogue with Vin Diesel and then that's just all she does. She's only in like one scene. But it caught me off guard a little bit. It's just wow. so bad. It's just so ridiculously bad. How 
How many I, times did Vin Diesel grunt family? That's what I need to know. I'm sure it wasn't as many as, as advertised, as ridiculous as people thought it would be, but it's enough to be obnoxious. Because it is, it is, the whole thing is about him and his brother and their family. I will say, though, I will say, though, the stupidest thing in the trailer is that they go to space, right? Tyrese yes. Gibson and Ludacris go to space. That is the best part of the movie, is when they go to space. Really? It is so much fun, because this is just the two of them in a car, and Ludacris is just duct taping his glove, because he's like, shit, I ripped it. And it's just, <laughs> it's, 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 it's so funny, just watching them banter about going to space, and Tyrese Gibson is freaking out, and Ludacris is like, bro, we did the math. The numbers add up. It's fine. Like We're going to be fine. The, the numbers say it's all good. Like Let's just do it. Let's go. It's so ridiculous. And then the three guys who helped them get in the space are three of the guys from Tokyo Drift. And then Han comes back. And so the guy from Tokyo okay. Drift and Han like reconnect. And that's like a nice sweet moment for two seconds at the end. And then they have like... I don't know. It's just so... Uh, it's just so bad. I, I can't even begin to describe how awful it is. Apparently, Fate of the Furious is not that bad. Like, that's what Kirk said, right? Like, it's not too bad. It's, like, fun in a way. And I, now I really want to watch it because it's the same kind of crazy that F9 is, but F9 is just done poorly, I suppose. Because the way F9 opens, it's not bad. Like, the, the, the opening scene sets it up in a good way to where I was like, okay, I can kind of get behind this. And then it just cuts to present day. Dominic is on a farm with Letty and his son. And then Ludacris and Tyrese Gibson show up and they're like, we got a mission. And then they're just secret agents and it's just stupid. And it just kills it. It ruins it. Makes it awful. I hate it. Pisses wow. me off. Just so bad. Sounds so, like pure cinema to me. <laughs> I highly recommend it. I think everybody should see it. I think everybody should watch F9 because it is crazy fun. Like it is, it is, it is nonsense at its finest like it's it's the only kind of movie that i could watch again that i just absolutely despise because it's just so ridiculously stupid and the action scene sequences are not done well and there's just so much about it that i think is just really 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 bad but i would watch it again because of how really 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 really, really bad it is so out of out of families i rate this two out of five families i'm giving it a two wow this is the lowest i've ever rated anything on the show Fortunately, we've had the we've had the good luck of being able to rate good things on the show as opposed to bad things. But F nine, it's fallen flat for me. Dang, hate to hate to hear it. Although it was probably it was very much expected that that yes. would be a bad film. Indeed, I think that's so funny that you went to go see it. It's I just there's know. nothing else playing right now that I haven't already seen. Like I would have gone to see The Conjuring, which I didn't really want to do, or The Forever Purge, which I really didn't want to do, or Cruella, which I really, really, really didn't want to do, or uh, Peter Rabbit 2, which I really, really, <laughs> really, really did not want to do. So there's like nothing out this week that I wanted to see, and I was like, fuck it, I'll go see F9. Why not? It sounds so stupid. It's exactly what I want right now. I went and saw it. Dylan, it, that'll... It's crazy. I'm adding a new test to the triathlon you'll actually have to watch every james corden movie <laughs> at the very end of the cycling portion you have to watch two hours of it in order to successfully complete the triathlon i think and i can your do it. vespa no i don't think you would you would, i think i do it. you would What's squirm the you would thing? froth at the mouth 
Did James Corden parachute out of an airplane with Tom Cruise? Was that James Corden that did that? I have no clue. That'd be amazing if he did that. I think he did. It's that and going underwater with David Blaine are the two things that he's done that I like. <laughs> he did an underwater magic trick with David Blaine where he actually held his breath. I respect that. And he jumped out of an airplane with Tom Cruise, which I also respect. So he's done some things that I like, but for the most part, hasn't hit. Hasn't done well. Gotcha. At least we have positive words for James Corden. I can give I can give mind. positive comments. I'm not a fan of his talk show. I'm not a fan of a lot of things he does, but he has done good things in the past. More entertaining things than a lot of other talk shows. He like he goes he goes the distance when he really wants to. Gotcha. But he just never really wants to, I guess. You know it's also sad that we didn't put on the news section either last week or this week. Conan. Conan's talk show on TBS has ended. He's moving over to HBO Max to do some sort of show. I don't know what Mm -hmm. he's going to do. But that's a sad. He was my favorite and is my favorite talk show. Really? He's amazing. Yeah, he's the best. My favorite is Jimmy Kimmel. I love Jimmy Kimmel. I think Jimmy Kimmel is such a nice person. I think he does the best pranks on people. I just love Jimmy Kimmel. I absolutely adore Jimmy Kimmel. I think he's all right. But I think Conan... On every level, bro. Traveling, what Conan Beyond Borders? Conan, Conan is without up there. borders. It's so good. It's so Conan good. is up there for me, but I think Jimmy Kimmel takes the cake. Yeah, no, I really do like Eric Andre. <laughs> His show is fantastic. Is He's just on a whole another level. All right, now we will move on to movie of the week, which, in honor of July Fourth weekend, this past weekend, will be The Patriot which came out in 2000. It's directed by Roland Emmerich, written by Robert Rodat, Rodat, Rodat. also wrote Saving Private Ryan, for which he won the Oscar. Hmm. So good for him. He came back and wrote this film. It is starring Mel Gibson, a young and dashing Heath Ledger, Chris Cooper, Dwelly Richardson, and Jason Isaacs. And it is a film about the Revolutionary War, it focuses on the southern theater of the conflict, and it is interesting to me because it's called The Patriot, but my boy Mel Gibson, his character, his entire motivation for getting into the war has nothing to do with the idealism or the principles or values or the cause of the war. A man's going into it because his son Heath Ledger is going into the war, and he's like, the only way that I can protect him is by getting into the war myself so that he can be the officer uh who is mm-hmm. over him like has command over he ledger so that he's able to protect him yes. um and also mo gibson's character he was famous for being for brutally winning some battle in the french and indian war so he also hates war because of that like he doesn't want to be part of it anymore because of what he did because mm-hmm. he still feels guilty, he has a bit of PTSD from that. Um, and so that is another element to this film that I thought was particularly interesting, because at the outset, when we're in the town and they're trying to raise up the militia to combat the British and start the war, he explicitly is like, no, let's not do this. I don't want to go to war. I don't want to create a new nation, anything like that, uh, which I just think is such an interesting take for this film called the patriot Patriot. um and it yeah and it does have its flashes of idealism from other characters who talk about like Heath ledger at one point is saying 
this is the new world. They call it the new world, but it's just like the old world. If we win this war, then we'll finally be able to make something new. Like he says, things like that. Um, and so there are those elements to it, uh, which draw on the values and ideals of America. But again, the core driving force of the main character of the film is family. And he was opposed to the war and only is getting into it because he wants to save his family. So I just thought that was an interesting uh, approach to this. I also think it's hilarious that so many people, particularly British people, hate this film because they think it's such propaganda. Because <laughs> there's a particular British platoon or unit or whatever. Yeah. They're just the worst war criminals you've ever seen. Like they just, they're straight up Nazis, essentially, mm-hmm. in the Revolutionary War, doing just despicable things to innocent people to towns for no reason. Um, and I, I, the reason for that in the story is they wanted to give us a personal enemy to have, someone to pit Mel Gibson's character against, um, someone who can wrong him that he can sort of fight against uh, mm-hmm. so that we don't have two nameless armies just clashing. Yeah. Um, like that's why they did it. But I can also see why some people would look at the historical inaccuracy of that and be uh, off-put by it. But I also... It's a weird thing to me because I don't know why you would go into this film thinking it will teach you history instead of telling you a story about a fictional character because Mel Gibson's character is fictional. He is somewhat an amalgamation of real officers in the Revolutionary War, but it's also pretty clearly uh, fictional here. So I thought that debate over this film and whether it's historically accurate, which it most certainly is not, um, is interesting because I wouldn't use that as something against this film um but i do really like it because as you know dylan yes i'm a proud citizen of the us of a yes you i'm are. all sentimental for the idealism of america and the promise of it and all that i know so you are. and i'm also a sucker for the revolutionary era and the founding fathers and all of that of course so i despite some of the flaws of this film i really loved it some mm. of those flaws are that it's a bit melodramatic in parts it can linger too long on certain scenes. Some of the hand-to-hand combat was not very good, very clearly staged. Um, yeah. And then some of the comedic elements they tried to put in this film, maybe it's because I'm coming off of uh, Bo Burnham inside. Mm-hmm, yeah. like, seeing their attempts here, I was like, that is so out of place. It just didn't land. It was a little awkward. Um, but there are a lot of positives to it. I think each of the actors and actresses are very solid in this film. Hmm. I thought there's a lot of compelling dialogue, which again, it's sort of that, like in that old timey vein where it's all not how people today would actually talk. And I'm not sure if people actually verbally spoke like that back then, but you know, the written style of that time period, how uh, they spoke then uh, that's in the dialogue. And I am always interested in that. It has really, really good battle scenes, extremely well crafted. Uh, particularly the finale, mm-hmm. it's just amazing. It's so good. You, Mel Gibson charges at a horse with a a an American flag, and then drives it through the enemy like it's a like he's driving the stake through him. It's just incredible. On both cool. the emotional levels and the staging levels, it was fantastic. Also, it has a great score done by John Williams. Huh. So, on all those Neat. fronts, it is fantastic i do think it's an interesting film to watch um 
go ahead and see it, even though it'll be a week past the July 4th weekend at this point. If you want to feel a little patriotism and a little love of family, since that's like the main theme of it, family. go ahead and watch The Patriot. It's also so funny that Mel Gibson, in The Patriot and in Braveheart, he just hates the English, I think. <laughs> he always wants to be fighting the English in the yeah. film. But yeah, The Patriot, movie of the week. Go watch it. Amazing. That is all the time we have. If you'd like to give your thoughts on the show or make a suggestion for the movie of the week, you can email us at theboxoffishow at gmail.com. Our main title theme for the show is Sundown by Joseph McDade. Be sure to tune in next week. We are going to be discussing the first MCU film since 2019, Black Widow. Have a great rest of your day, everybody. Bye.